Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you are here today. We want to welcome you. We want to welcome all those who are joining us uh, online. Uh, next week, we're, we're in for a treat. Um, Clyde Slimp will be here with Eastern European Missions. And so you'll remember uh, earlier this year, we gave a, a large sum of money to the people in Ukraine. And uh, part of that money went to Eastern European Missions and the work that they're doing there. And he's going to come and talk to us about that. And so I know over the last several months, you kind of turn on the news, you uh, read the paper, and you hear bad news coming out of uh, Ukraine, out of Eastern Europe. And so I invite you next week to be here and to hear some good news about Eastern Europe and the work of the church that is going on there. That'll be a wonderful, wonderful time. So we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you might be wanting to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to look at this entire chapter this morning um, before we move further in a couple weeks. And so uh, just thinking back, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we are introduced to a church that is quite a mess. They have uh, moral problems. They are divided and fractured. They have not been fully converted to Christ, and so they are following after various philosophies and worldly wisdom. The church is a mess, but Paul writes to them, and he still calls them a church. He says that they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, and they have been called to be saints. And so it may not look like it, but these Christians are on a pathway to glory. They have been introduced to the ways of Christ. And now it is time for them to embrace them and for them to make them their own. It is time for them to stop being conformed to the world and to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. It is time for them to leave the pathways of sin, abandon worldly wisdom, and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. It is time for them to give up on division and to embrace their calling to be peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation. And so the church in, in Corinth was a, a work in progress, as we all are. We have not yet arrived. We are not what we should be. And so the potter is still working with his clay. But thankfully, we are in Christ and we belong to him. And so the, the last half of chapter 1 deals with wisdom. And so philosophy and, and, and wisdom, these were big deals in ancient Greece. And the Christians in Corinth had, had latched on to certain ideas that, that sounded good, but that were not profitable. These were worldly ideas, worldly wisdom, and they were divided over who to follow. They were divided over which wisdom was better. And Paul comes to them and he implores them to, to give up on these earthly philosophies and to simply embrace the wisdom of the cross. And you might think, well, that, that would be the end of it. But it's not. Uh, you see, the philosophy that we choose to live our lives by 
is of utmost importance. And we all choose something. And this is everything. If we choose the wrong philosophy, the wrong wisdom, then we end up ruining our lives. It will be a waste of a life. And so we have to be careful. And so this is why Paul continues to discuss wisdom in chapter 2. And so I want us to read this chapter. It's not very long, and then we'll discuss it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. One of the things you'll notice in this passage is that Paul makes multiple references to his own speech. And this actually starts back in, in chapter 1. And so here are just a few of the mentions. Uh, first, uh, for Christ did not send me to baptize you, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom. And then, and I, when I come, came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And then there's verses 3 and 4, And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. You see, part of the, the worldly wisdom that the Corinthians were clinging to was that they desired a preacher, a speaker, that was well-spoken and eloquent. One that could interact with the philosophies in Greece. And this was not Paul. He was not a charismatic figure who shared illustrations from popular philosophers. 
He was weak, and his speech was not lofty. In fact, he didn't even look the part. We're given a description of him in an early Christian document that's called the Acts of Paul. And here is how Paul is described. A man of little stature, thin-haired upon the head, crooked in the legs, a good state of body, with eyebrows joining and nose somewhat hooked. And so Paul was short and chubby, bald and bow-legged, with a big nose and a unibrow. And... You know, he just does not look like a popular speaker. He's not tall, dark, and handsome. His looks are underwhelming. His speaking abilities are underwhelming. He, he did not appeal to the wisdom of the day. And so some people in this church in Corinth, they're not very fond of Paul. They want someone who looks better and speaks better. And you see, they're thinking in worldly ways. And they're comparing Paul to the philosophers that they hear in the marketplace. And he just doesn't measure up. Well, we see something similar in our day. We live in this culture that holds celebrities in high regard. We want to know what they think about current issues. Their, their opinions are, are turned into headlines and clickbait. We elect them to office. We put them in positions of power and we allow them to make important decisions that impact our lives. We embrace them, not because of their wisdom, but because of their mass appeal. And what does God say about looking at the world in such a way? You see it in verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. He says the wisdom of this world is not everlasting. It does not lead to a good end. It passes away. It perishes. It is not true wisdom because it doesn't benefit those who follow it. It may sound good, but it does not lead to blessing when all is said and done. What is popular is not always right. In fact, what we see is that God chooses what is not popular. He chooses what is weak to be the vehicle for his wisdom. He sends a short, chubby, bald, bow-legged, big-nosed, Pharisee with a unibrow to speak to the sophisticated Greeks in Corinth. And even more surprising than this, God chooses to bless the world through a crucified Savior. Something that worldly wisdom and worldly leaders never expected. They never saw it coming. He speaks of this in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Hmm. And so, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are completely different. And if we're going to be in Christ, then we must abandon worldly wisdom. 
we have to give up seeing the world as we once saw it. We must forsake worldly strategies and ways and embrace the ways of Jesus. This is Paul's point when he writes, None, or now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So it does not make any sense for us to continue in the ways of the world when we have received the Spirit who is from God. Why follow after worldly philosophies and seek worldly wisdom when the Spirit of God lives in us? Why follow uh, ways that that, that lead nowhere, that, that will come to nothing, when we possess the way that leads to eternal life? And so what we're to do is we are to embrace the mind of Christ. We are to be transformed in our thinking so that we think like Jesus and we do what Jesus would do. And so the question now is, what what does this look like? What does this mean? Well, we don't have to guess because Paul actually explains what the mind of Christ is in the letter to the Philippians. And you find it in Philippians 2, 3 through 8, where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind. What's he talking about there? The mind of Christ. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what is this mind of Christ? Well, having the mind of Christ is counting others more significant than ourselves. It's looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is what it means to think like Jesus and follow his ways. But it's more than this as well, because you see what Paul does here is, is in this passage, he describes the entire life of Jesus from the manger to the grave. He says that's what it is to have the mind of Christ. And, and, and what does this look like? Well, Jesus lived a sacrificial life. He lived a life of service. He lived a life of love and not a superficial love where people just do whatever they want and call it love, but a love that led him to leave heaven and come to earth. A love that led him to devote his life to the, to the ministry of others. A love that led him to the cross to give his life for you and for me. And that's not easy. It's costly. And none of this made sense to people in authority. In fact, often it didn't make sense to the people right around Jesus. They struggled with it. But what it does is it eventually changes the world. And many lives have been transformed. And numerous people have been blessed because of the wisdom of God. And you can just look at history. Look at the good that has been done. Look at the lives that have been changed. And it wasn't due to the wisdom of Caesar. It wasn't because of the wisdom of Herod. 
It was because of the wisdom of a crucified Savior. Well, so Paul plants this church in Corinth. And before long, it's just a mess. And there are moral problems, there are wisdom problems, there are division problems, there's jealousy problems, and more than this even. And so what does a church planter do with a church like this? Where does a minister begin when when he walks into a situation like the one that we find in Corinth? Well, there's only one thing that you can do, and it's what Paul did. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, this church in Corinth was going in all kinds of directions. They were divided this way and that way and every way. And they wanted to know who was right. They wanted to know who Paul is going to side with. Who's it going to be, Paul? Who are you going to choose? And his answer is, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You see, this church in Corinth loved wisdom and they loved philosophy and they paid attention to the latest trends and what everyone was doing and they followed what what the most popular teachers of that day were teaching. And they wanted to know what wisdom Paul was going to follow, what wisdom Paul was going to share with them. And his answer is, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so, when you have a mess, you look to Christ, you listen to Christ, and you follow Christ. Because Jesus mends the broken. He redeems what is lost. He heals the sick. Jesus is in the mess-fixing business. Now, our lives might not look exactly like the Corinthians, but sometimes we find ourselves in a mess. Maybe we take the wrong turn or we make a few bad decisions, and we just don't know what to do next. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to get ourselves out of this mess that we find ourselves in. And let me suggest that that Paul's advice here is not just for ministers and it's not just for church planners. It is for everyone. When we find ourselves in a mess, when our lives are not what they should be, the answer is, for I decided on nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that may sound like a cliche because people sometimes take the name of Jesus and they use it as a cliche, but it's not. It was not a cliche to Paul. It was not a cliche to the people in Corinth. This meant something. It meant to stop listening to the constant bombardment of worldly wisdom 
and to only listen to Christ. It meant to stop dividing over things that that did not matter in the end and to unite around Christ. It meant to stop following after other leaders and to only follow Christ. And so if you find yourself in a mess, if you've exhausted all the other options, try this advice. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Do what Jesus says. Read his word. Follow it. And then walk in his ways. And it's really that simple. Do those things and just see how your life changes. Get up every morning and say, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you this morning and to be in your presence. And we thank you for your holy word, which guides us and provides wisdom unlike any that we will find in this world. A wisdom that will bless us and save us. And I pray that we will take Paul's advice and that we will give up on worldly ways, and that we will quit following after worldly leaders, and that we will stop listening to all the worldly wisdom, and that we will know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Because that is the way of life. It is the way of salvation. And it's the only thing that can fix the mess that we are in. We're so thankful for Jesus and a way that looked foolish to the world, but a way that saved us. We're thankful for what he did on the cross. And we pray this in his name. Amen.